0: This is The Podcast Method, where I answer your questions about podcasting and recording, audio and video equipment, software, mic technique, pre- and post-production workflows, and more. I am Dan Benjamin, and this is episode number 17. I'd like to say thanks very much to Hover.com for supporting this show. I'll tell you more about them as we continue. Thank you again to everybody who is sending in so many great questions over Twitter and over email. And uh, we obviously there would be no show without your participation. There would be no show without your questions. There would be no show without you guys to listen. So thank you very much. Everybody who's doing that. It makes a huge difference. If you leave an iTunes review, why? Because it's so hard to build and grow an audience. It's hard for everybody. It's even hard for somebody like Bill Simmons, who is a super famous person and a super big personality in, uh, in the sports world and now has like a number one podcast. Well, the way that he has that number one podcast is because he's built an audience and he reaches out to that audience and they respond by doing things like subscribing to his show, rating his show on iTunes, talking about the show, telling their friends about the show. That's what you need to do to build your audience. You need to engage with your listeners and you need to to reach out to them and provide them with content that they like so much, they love so much, that they are willing to go and tell their friends about it and leave those reviews. And that's what I hope you guys will do for me here on this show, and that's what you need to encourage your listeners to do. I remember a a friend of mine, John Roderick, when he was running for his campaign in Seattle, he had to go and basically ask people to donate money to the campaign. And this is not something he was, you know, like had ever really done before, like going to people and saying, please, if you like the things that I say and the things I believe in, like, give me money. Well, that's one of the things that we as podcasters need to do if we want to make any money doing the show. You know, Uh, you guys can support this show on patreon.com slash five by five, but you need to create a Patreon for your listeners, too. You need to give them an opportunity to say thanks, whether that's a link to a PayPal account whether that's using your Amazon affiliate links, whatever it is, having great sponsors and going to the sponsors and asking them for the money. That's what you need to do and you need to get comfortable doing that if your goal is to make some money doing this. You need to get comfortable saying to your listeners, I'm making this show, it's it's for you guys. If you like it, these are the ways that you can say thanks. Visit our sponsors, give me a dollar on PayPal, whatever. It's tough to do that and that's a big barrier for people. It was certainly a big barrier for me when we launched our Patreon uh, to, to go to people and say, yes, we have a sponsor during the show, but that's not really enough to cover our costs or it's enough to cover our costs, but I'd like to be, you know, be able to get a better chair for the office. You know, Little things like that, uh, people, people are hesitant to ask. And if you're making something good and people are enjoying it, you shouldn't be hesitant to ask for that help, ask for that support. We live in this amazing community now where there are finally really great tools that will let people support really great stuff. And I know I support a ton of people uh, who are doing podcasts, independent website creators. I'll become a member of their site because I want those independent voices. I want those independent voices and I want those independent voices to be louder than those commercial voices, if you will, than those voices that come from uh, large media corporations. I want to hear the individuals. I want it to be possible for individuals to succeed and to succeed independently. So uh, that was my soapbox. I wasn't really uh, necessarily expecting to jump on that one that way, but it's so important to me that people have a voice. And the only way we can do it is if we get that kind of support. It takes a lot of time and therefore it takes a lot of money to to put together content uh, that's quality that is something people will want to show up and listen to every day. So again, thanks to all of you who are supporting us. And, uh, and you need to go and do the same. And don't, don't be shy to ask for support when you need it. I have a whole list of topics here. But uh, before I do topics today, and maybe, maybe we won't even get to all of them because I wanted to respond first uh, to the questions that I've been asked on Twitter. And what I'll do is before I record the episode... I'll usually tweet and say, hey, recording a podcast method episode today. What are your questions? Use the hashtag podcast method. Well, you don't need to wait for my tweet to do that. If you're listening to this show and you want to ask a question, I will try and get to all of them. Use the hashtag podcast method and I will read it and I'll prepare for it ahead of the show and I'll get to your question. And so here I'm going to just jump into a handful of them. Uh, This is a real fun one. Jamie Edwards who's at hand underscore in underscore date underscore 88 on Twitter. He says, I'm going to be the host of my first ever podcast tomorrow. Any advice on keeping the conversation flowing? This is a great question, and it's something that I get asked a lot by people who want to start doing interviews. The best kinds of questions that you can possibly ask, this is true if you're doing an interview. It's true if you're moderating a panel. Whatever it is that you're going to be doing, you want to ask as open-ended of a question as possible, one that you know will make the person that you're interviewing shine. That's the whole thing. You as an interviewer, you want to step back. You want to be out as out of the way as possible. Yes, it's probably your show. Yes, you are the person who people are tuning in to, to, to hear, but they're tuning in to hear you be a consistent, guiding voice for the person that you're interviewing. They're... They're there to hear you, right? Like, you know, when you turn in or tune into uh, to late night TV, you like the personality, you like the host, you like the person who's doing the interviewing, but you want to hear the words coming from the interviewee more. You don't want that person doing the interview to be in the way. So your goal as an interviewer is to ask an open-ended question, a question that in a way you know the person you're interviewing will be able to respond to. It's not so much you want to ask them questions you want the answers to as much as questions you know will make that interviewee shine. And if you make them feel comfortable by asking them questions that, uh, that cast them uh, in a positive light and that obviously you're not doing like investigative journalism where you're trying to reveal a thing, you know, you're, you're trying to bring somebody's soul, heart and soul out in the interview. And if you're doing that, it'll put them at ease. It'll make them feel comfortable. And it's not so much how do I keep the conversation flowing as much as how do I make the person I'm interviewing feel comfortable. I've interviewed so many designers and developers and people who are what you would call classic introverts. Uh, they're not necessarily comfortable talking in, in an interview, getting them to relax. They open up like you wouldn't believe and, uh, and it makes for a wonderful interview. So, Jamie, I hope that answered your question. Um, It's interviewing is such a tricky thing. The last bit of advice I'll give is don't expect your first interview to be amazing. Don't expect it to be great and expect to do a lot of editing on that interview. Boy, I'll tell you, you know, five or six years ago when I first started uh, doing a podcast, a regular weekly podcast interview, I would do so much post production and editing on that interview. Not because my guests weren't great, but because I felt like I had asked so many dumb questions and I, I just wanted to obliterate them. I didn't want anyone to hear. Uh, My struggle in asking great questions, practice makes perfect, or in this case, practice makes better. So uh, keep, keep practicing. Do lots and lots of interviews and edit them, edit, 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 and distill it down to just the best stuff. Steve Morton, who is at MC Avatar on Twitter, asks, recommendations on configuring Skype. Well, back in the old days, we used to have to do a whole lot of stuff to make Skype play nicely. There used to be uh, editing of XML files behind the scenes, all kinds of stuff like that. You don't really need to do quite so much to make Skype play nicely these days. And that's both because uh, Skype's gotten a lot better and it's also because there isn't a whole lot you can do with Skype. Why would we be using Skype in the first place? Well, most people who record podcasts, are using one of a variety of different methods. The most common method is the person who's hosting is using software, and if if you're on the Mac, you probably are using, there's a company called Ecamm, and it's called Call Recorder. And that adds a little button to your Skype uh, window that lets you hit the, it's a record button, you hit the record button, and you're recording both sides of the conversation at once. That's the way most people are doing it. To get a little bit more advanced than that, You also uh, you you might do something called a double ender, which I've talked about a lot, which is where each participant of the show that you're doing, whether it's one person or two people or five people, each person records their own end of the conversation and then uploads that usually on something like Dropbox to the engineer, the engineer, which is usually us. Right. We uh, are the ones who do the editing. We'll grab that file and we will combine all of those files that have been sent to us into one file Uh, make sure that we edit for audio drift and then we have uh, a released episode. What's audio drift? Audio drift is what happens when two different computers record the same thing. They all record at a slightly different speed. So if I'm interviewing you and you're recording your end and I'm recording my end, when I go to put those things together, they will not stay synced up perfectly through the whole show. They will have slowly, slowly over the course of that 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes length, they will get out of sync. It's just what happens because computers are not perfectly synced up with one another. You will need to edit that out. So that's why after like 30 or 40 minutes, you're like, I don't remember talking over them. I don't remember them talking over me. Well, you weren't. It's just audio drift. And you can correct for that by snipping that out as you detect it and realigning things. Uh, But a lot of the time you are recording with Skype. And you want to make sure that both you and your guests have a couple settings configured. So if you go into Skype, and it's pretty much the same on Mac and PC nowadays, but if you go to the audio video tab under Skype preferences, you want to make sure, and this is something that's so important every single time, every single time that you are on a show and that your guests and everyone is on a show, it's it's so important because if you don't do it this way, it's so easy to make a mistake they need to go in and make sure that their microphone that they've picked is the the microphone that they have. I'll tell you why. Skype doesn't always default to that microphone that you have plugged in. So you might plug in a really nice microphone and talk into it and think that that's what's being recorded. But in fact, the little microphone in the lid of your MacBook is what's actually recording your voice. Even though Skype was sending a really good signal, uh, It might not be the real signal that you want. The same is true if you're recording your own end. Just check, double-check, and triple-check to make sure that the right microphone is selected as the input. I can't tell you how many times we've had guests who have sent good audio to us over Skype also recording their own end, but they recorded their USB headset. They recorded something else that they were using to listen to the show. Instead, it's like, how could that happen, right? But it happens. It happens a lot. And the easiest way to avoid it is just double check, triple check every time you record. Uh, The only other thing really that you want to do is there's a little checkbox under there that says automatically adjust microphone settings. Uncheck that. That's Skype's way of saying, okay, I know you're an amateur. And you're going to get loud and you're going to get quiet. I'll handle that. When you get quiet, I'll bump the volume up. When you get loud, I'll bump the volume down. That's not what you want if you're podcasting and recording. That is what you want if you're just having a casual Skype call. But if, if you're practicing good mic technique and you have a decent microphone, that's just going to get in your way. So I highly recommend unchecking that. Uh, that. That would be very important. And of course, you are practicing good mic technique and you've watched the little mic technique video I put up on YouTube and you know what you're doing. But that's really it when it comes to configuring Skype uh, as far as the audio that you send and the audio that you're going to want to receive. Weekly Econ Podcast, who's at Weekly Econ Pod on Twitter, says, what's the best way to combine noise gating and compression on a recording with four people on four mics in a slightly echoey room? Well, let me break that question down. What is noise gating? Very, very simply, the short answer to noise gating is it's like putting a gate up to block noise under a certain threshold. So you say anything that is not over X dB, X decibels, we're just not even going to rec- We're going to block that sound out completely. We're going to eliminate that sound completely. For example, and I've done this little demo before, it's uh, not quite 9 a.m. right now as I record this. And it's still very much rush hour here in Austin. And our office is located right off of Mopac, which is a big, uh, busy highway here in Austin. And I'm going to be quiet for a second. And you tell me if you can hear all of the cars that are right now racing past uh, my windows, if you can hear the people beeping, if you can hear all of this traffic noise. So listen for a second. Now, if you're one of those people who uses smart Speed or something like that, you didn't really hear a pause or anything because it just eliminated that. But if you're one of the people who listens to what the podcast actually sounds like and my voice and pacing and timing, then you heard a pause and you should have heard nothing. I don't hear anything in the headphones, and that's because we have a noise gate in place here uh, on the DBX-286S, which is the preamp connected to my microphone, all the microphones that we have here in our little studio you can't hear any of that noise because it doesn't, if I take my headphones off and stand there, oh, you'll hear it. But it doesn't get picked up by the microphones. That's part one. Part two is this microphone that I'm using, which is the Telefunken M82, but the Heil PR-40s do a good job and a whole lot a lot of mics, a Shure SM7s, tons of mics, especially dynamic mics, really good at what's called noise rejection. And that means anything that's not right in front of the microphone, going right into the front part of the microphone, is going to get rejected. And the way I demo that, as I've done many times in the past, is uh, right now I'm talking right directly into the microphone. And now I'm off mic just by two or three inches. Listen to the difference when I'm just slightly off mic. Now I'm a few feet away, you probably can't really hear me at all. And then as I walk back to the microphone, you can hear me again. Well, that traffic that's down there because of the noise gate and the good noise rejection of this mic you're not going to hear it. That means you're not going to hear your neighbor's dog. You're not going to hear your kid crying in the next room. You're not going to hear your neighbor's music coming through the microphone. So that's what noise gating is about. Compression, we did a whole episode on compression and compression settings. I think it was episode number two or three if you want to hear the tech talk part of how to get good compression settings. But with compression, that just helps balance out the sound of your voice. Very much as I described Skype trying to do bumping the volume up and bringing it down it's not quite so simple but that helps you maintain the compression is going to if you get a little quiet it'll it'll boost that volume if you get a little too loud it'll bring it down more or less uh but the question that weekly econ podcast is asking is how do i combine noise gate and compression because i've got four people in one room they're all on different mics i'm recording them on separate tracks but the room is echoey so what what Weekly Econ Podcast is asking, I'll, I'll call it a he because I don't know if it's a he or not. What Weekly Econ Podcast is asking is, how do I eliminate that echo sound that all the mics are picking up? How do I keep audio leakage from happening, which is where one person talks on one mic and it gets picked up on the other person's mic? You know what? You're probably not going to be able to get what you want the result you want by combining noise gating and compression. It's just not going to be enough. You need to treat that room. But there are lots and lots and lots of ways to treat that room. But you have to start by figuring out how you can eliminate that echo. The best way to do that is with acoustic panels. If you have a little bit of money to spend, you don't need to spend a lot of money, uh, but if you have a little bit of money to spend, you can get some acoustic panels. They'll stick right up onto the wall with some 3M double-sided tape And that will make a huge, huge difference. But if that sounds like too elaborate for you or too much trouble or you don't have the money for it, you can get a lot done just by putting additional furniture in the room or putting a, you know, like put a sofa in the room or a chair if you can. Put something over the floor if it's a concrete floor or a tile floor. Put a rug in there. You would be surprised how much you can do with just blankets. And you know what? Like, no, it's not going to look good. But is your goal looking good or is your goal making a room that doesn't have very much echo? You need to treat the room. You need to treat the room. Uh, You're not going to accomplish what you need with just noise gates and just compression, unfortunately. Before I answer the next question, let me tell you about Hover, hover hover.com. You know what? You have a great idea. I know you do. You want to secure a great domain name for it. You want to find the perfect name that represents your project. Something is catchy, memorable, feels good typing on the keyboard, saying out loud. But you know what? A lot of the domain names, I don't know if you knew this, a lot of the domain names are taken. Wouldn't it be amazing if there was like a website you could go to where you could just type in a word or a phrase and uh, it would magically check the whole internet and every single available domain name extension and tell you what was available? Hover. That's right. Hover does that. They give you that search box. It's just like Google for domain names. So you just type in a word, you type in a phrase. Hover comes back and lists every single option for you that exists. Every name you can register, pretty much, is it's going to be listed there. Not just the .com and .net, but all the new ones, all the fancy ones. You want a .dot pizza domain? Like you can get that. Whatever it is you want to get. Other places, they're going to make you upgrade and pay for those upgrades to get things that should just be included, like who is privacy? All Hover domains have that. It's built in. If they support it with that TLD, Hover gives it to you for free. It's not an extra thing you need to pay for. They have a valet transfer service. So if you have a domain name registered somewhere else, you want to transfer it, they'll do all the work for you. They've got a no wait, no hold, no no transfer phone policy. And they have something called Hover Connect, so that like if, if you want to host your site on Shopify or build something beautiful with Squarespace, You don't have to go in and configure DNS records or anything. They just do it all for you. It's amazing. It's genius. You can go to Hover.com and save 10% on your first purchase and also support this show because you know what? If you use my code here, when you register your domain name, they see that it's hooked up to this show and they say, you know what, Dan, we're going to sponsor your show again because people are using your code. So you save 10% and you support the show. The code to use, podcast method, one word. Hover.com, 10% with the code podcast method. Thank you very much to Hover for supporting the show. Chad Landman, who's at Chad Landman on Twitter, says, I know you've talked about hosting podcast files before, but would you hit that again? That is such a great and big topic. Uh, there are so many different ways to host your files. There are so many different places to host your files. Uh, it's, if you break down what a podcast is at its heart, A podcast is something called an RSS feed. This is a special flavor of an XML file that contains the data about your podcast, about each episode of your podcast, including things like where the file is hosted. The nice thing is, you don't really need to know what an RSS file is anymore because most of the uh, software out there for hosting a podcast does that work for you, whether you're hosting it on Squarespace or WordPress or uh, or really any of the systems that are out there, they're all going to generate that RSS feed for you. That's the subscription URL. That feed URL is the same thing that you're going to submit to iTunes when you want to add your show or any of the other places. Like now, you know, we talked about Google Play. You would submit that RSS feed to Google Play. You would submit that RSS feed to any service, Spotify, anything else. that's going to have a pot your, host your podcast or distribute your podcast is probably the better word. Because at the end of the day, you're hosting all of that. So when you download like a movie from iTunes, iTunes is hosting that file. When you download uh, an app from iTunes, iTunes is hosting that file. When you download a podcast from iTunes, you are hosting that file, not iTunes. So just be clear on that. You're always hosting the file. Now, some of these other services, such as Stitcher, such as Spotify, such as Google Play, they will ingest that file for you, and they will distribute it to their listeners for you. This is both good and bad, but that's a whole different show as to why it's good and why it's bad. But just keep that in mind that that RSS feed, that is where is the source for all of the other apps, media devices, everything that's playing your podcast, it's getting the information about your podcast from that RSS feed that hopefully these days you shouldn't need to touch at all. That said, once you create that episode, you need to put it somewhere, right? Someplace that will host the file and generate the RSS feed. How do you do that? Where do you go? What are the options? If you're a technical person, you can host those files yourself on your own file server that you are in control of on the internet. You could do this with a DreamHost account that you pay a few bucks a month for. You could do this at Mac Mini Colo, uh, where you have your own dedicated Mac Mini. You could do this if You work in a company that has a big, fat internet pipe. Maybe you can host it right there on your own external server if they let you do that kind of thing. There's so many choices for that. Of course, Squarespace makes it really easy to host your podcasts. There's so many options. It's not even funny. And then there are dedicated podcast options. One of them, the one that I hear about the most that people are using is Libsyn. That also provides you with tracking. And this is something that's pretty important because... On the one hand, yeah, you want to know how many people are downloading each of the episodes of your show. Uh, You also want to give that information to potential sponsors who are going to want to advertise on your show. You need to get good tracking. We've talked about why tracking is hard in a number of previous episodes. I don't want to rehash it out again. And I've also talked about the system that we're building. Uh, It's essentially built and done now. I'm happy to say it's been an incredibly (laughs) busy time trying to get this thing done. And we're just about ready to open the doors to get some beta testers into it. But we also have something that'll do the hosting and the tracking uh, for you in a way that's straightforward and simple and, uh, and easy to do. Regardless of what you choose, as far as where you decide to put those files, the main thing is that they get hooked up to that RSS feed. If you're doing this all yourself, then you're probably already technical and you're probably already thinking, yeah, I, I know how to do this. But if you're not, I would look at something like Libsyn I would look at something like Squarespace. Both of those solutions make it incredibly easy to just get started. Squarespace doesn't provide you at the current present time, doesn't provide you with analytics, but uh, they make the hosting part really easy. Libsyn's going to give you good analytics as well as hosting. And the thing that uh, that we're almost ready to release is going to give you both of those things as well. So that's just something to keep in mind. Lots of options, and there isn't one definitive, you have to do it this way. But that's also what makes it so hard. There are so many choices. JC Holder, who's at Third Truck on Twitter, long-time uh, long listener there, he says, how to get the best sound quality when recording or a, or merely speaking at a conference panel? Conference panels are like notorious for bad sound quality for some reason. If you're lucky enough to be speaking or involved in it or recording a panel where they've got good microphones in front of people and a good mixer that's providing multi track output, consider yourself lucky. That is just such a great situation to be in. I'm actually moderating a panel in a couple days in San Francisco, and I have no idea if the audio quality coming out of it is going to be usable for anything else. Uh, and that's really an afterthought. It's designed for the folks who are going to be attending. That's who the audience is for. It's a live performance. So, Right away, that's usually what's set up. They'll have a nice mixer, they'll have a nice PA system, but recording it, well, maybe they'll have a little, uh, you know, maybe they'll have a little uh, like recording box plugged into it that you might be able to get. So it's already a big challenge. If you're wanting to record this thing yourself, if you're the one who's wanting to, you know, get a high quality recording, it's going to come down to that mixer that's connected to their PA system. A lot of the time they're designed not to be uh, mixers that record stuff. They're just designed to make it sound really good in that room. So you're going to need to work with and communicate with the people who are doing the uh, the audio work there and ask them, can I get a recording of this? A lot of the time they'll be like, uh, I think there's a port on there. So unless you're coming with your own, Uh, computer to connect to it or your own device of some kind or another to connect to it, chances are you're not going to get a good recording out of it. Uh, One of the things you can do, though, is you can bring like the Zoom H4n or H5n recorder that will allow you to take at the very least get the output of whatever that mixer is there that's in control uh, and get that recording for yourself. And usually they won't mind just you can plug an XLR cable or a TS cable from the output of their mixer right into your h4n and lo and behold you have a recording of the whole thing that it might be a stereo track it might be a mono track but at least you'll have something and maybe you can run some post-processing on it or even just run it through the levelator and see what it sounds like levelator is an app that's no longer really developed or supported but it does a pretty good job of taking a mono track and evening things out a bit on it so that's something you could do i'm also going to be trying to do some interviews while I'm there. And uh, it'll probably be in a noisy room. And how do you do interviews in a noisy room like that? What we do, again, back to the Zoom H4n, and I believe the H5n is a better replacement for it. You grab that H4n or H5n, you plug two microphones in it with XLR cables. And the mics that we like to use are essentially the go-to standard stage mic that everybody has heard of. It's the uh, it's the Shure SM58, the Shure SM58. You take a couple of those, they're they're dynamic mics, they have incredible noise rejection, they're designed to be used on a stage or in a busy room. That will eliminate a lot of the background noise that you hear in a busy conference room or even just in an echoey room or in in uh, in something that's less than ideal. And you hand one to the person you're interviewing and you hold the other one and you hit record and they talk and you talk and that's probably the best you're going to do in a noisy situation like that. We've done it and it works pretty well. It's nowhere near as good as that situation you'll have uh in your own uh, home or small studio or even big studio, but it usually does the job. Last question I have time for today is from Naomi Williams, who's digital fan girl on Twitter, and she asks, "What are your thoughts on pre-recorded uh, or can shows versus live shows? And that is a wonderful question. I've talked only a little bit about that in one episode where I discussed sort of shows where you're creating a a masterpiece that is something that you do a lot of pre-production, a lot of post-production. You're creating like a sound experience versus uh, something where it's just like, hey, it's li- as we used to say in the old days, live to tape where you're just recording something and putting it out there uh, the way that it was. I think they each serve a really different purpose. I think the goal is very different. And I think a lot of it can be determined by the content. So if I was doing a show like, uh, like I do a show with Jim Dalrymple called Amplified where we talk about the latest stuff in the Apple world, a lot of that is uh, – or another good example is, is uh, Quit, a show that I do where a lot of the time we take call-ins, we take listener mail, we talk about careers and starting something awesome. On those shows, there's just a very natural flow where maybe we're talking about news or I'm taking calls live or I'm reading emails and, and responding to them. And that has a sort of a natural flow to it. So there's not a whole lot of uh, pre-recordedness to that. It's live in the sense that like what you hear is pretty much what happened. We're not doing a lot of editing for content. And then you have this other uh, type of show where it is, and we don't do a lot of these here, but a lot of folks do them where it is more or less scripted, it is more planned out. For me, my gut instinct, the kind of shows that I personally prefer are the kinds that are unscripted, the kinds that are more conversational, the kinds that just are a natural natural discussion that comes out of putting a few people together, throwing out some questions and topics and seeing what happens. I love that spontaneity. I love that natural dynamic between different people and different personalities. So that's my preference. But by no means is that everyone's preference. There are tremendous shows that are completely scripted, completely pre-recorded, And in fact, a lot of the time, those are, are very, very successful shows. Serial, uh, Radiolab, uh, Lore, all of these are shows that are completely scripted and recorded. The one thing in the last comment I'll make about that and the one suggestion I'll make about that is simply if you're going to do something that is scripted where you're reading something, it has to sound genuine. It has to sound like you are saying something that is not reading off of of a paper, reading off of a script. That is so hard to do that effectively. In my opinion, nothing is worse. Nothing, whether it's a script for your podcast, an interview question, an ad read. If it sounds like you're reading it, start over again. Do it again. Do it until it doesn't sound like you're reading it. When you have a great idea, you want to secure a domain name for it. You want to find the perfect name that represents your project, something that's catchy, memorable, and feels good typing on the keyboard and saying out loud, Hover makes, come on, people. That's what ads sound like so much. You can do better than that. Rehearse it, practice it, make it sound absolutely genuine. Make it sound like, you know what? Nobody's going to be angry if you're looking at your notes, but don't make it sound like you're looking at your notes. When you go to give that ad read, when you go to ask those interview questions, if you're doing the intro to your podcast, make it sound genuine and natural. And the more off the cuff it sounds, uh, the, the, the better. People want to feel like you're talking to them and you're having a real conversation. Nobody wants to hear something read to them. It's just uh, it's just painful. So that's my last bit of advice. Great question, Naomi. Great question to all of you. Please keep the questions coming. I'm trying to get back on a weekly schedule, but in order to do that, you guys have to ask me the questions. The best way to do it is on Twitter. I'm at DanBenjamin on Twitter. And hashtag is podcast method. That's where you go to ask me the questions you want answered. You can do email, but I take the Twitter ones first, so go there and ask me there. You can support the show two different ways. One way is free, and that is go to iTunes and rate the show. It helps new listeners find out about the show. Your ratings and your subscriptions in iTunes help people find it, and that's critical to keep it out there in front of people. So if you haven't done that, please, please, please consider doing that. The second way, Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash five by five, donate a dollar, donate a few bucks a month, whatever you feel the show is worth to you. We sure do appreciate it, it in a very real way, helps us pay the rent. So uh, thanks very much to everyone who's supporting us there. And that's it for this episode. See you online.